The following podcast is from Doxa Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org. Good morning. Um, we are reading, uh, we're going to have two, uh, oh wow, I feel legit up here. Um, we're going to be reading from John as well as Acts. We're going to start in John chapter 10, 11 through 16, and that's found in the, the Bibles that are scattered among or underneath the chairs on page 896. All right. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. All right, so now we're going to switch over to Acts, excuse me, Acts chapter 1, verses 8 through 11, and that's found on page 909. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. And when he said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Well, at Doxa, we're in the middle of renewing our commitment to mission or our focus on mission. And uh, it's, in this, it's in response to us realizing uh, this summer that, man, uh, we just we, we talk about mission. We have it on the banner and behind us here, but uh, uh, it's not really a true, really deep value for many of us, where we live, where we really care about Jesus' mission the way that he cares about it. And so what we've been doing the past few weeks is we've been asking, all right, what is it that stirs God's heart? What is it that stirs Jesus' heart? What is his mission? What is it that God is about on earth? What is, it, what is he doing? What is going on? And that could be a really complicated answer, but I mean, we see it laid out very simply. We see it laid out very clearly in the words of Jesus because it's Jesus that shows us the nature and character of God. It's Jesus that shows us the heart of God. It's kind of hard to know when we ask, like, hey, what's, what's God's heart? What, what's his mission? What really gets him going? It's really hard to answer that because God's invisible, right? It's really hard to get a picture of of, of who he is and what he's about, except that he is not and was not invisible and that he sent Jesus. And it says, the scripture tells us that Jesus shows us the heart of the Father. Jesus shows us who, who, who God is and what God is about. And here's, here's what we see in the life of Jesus. Here's what he shows us about the heart and the mission of God. He shows us that at the core of who God is is that God is a God of self-giving love. 
God is a God of self-giving love, and, and, and that love, and, and he, the way he gives himself to us sacrificially glorifies or showcases himself in, in his goodness. And here's how it showcases his goodness, because he gives his goodness to us. He pours out his love to us. He cares for us. He draws us to himself. He came through Jesus to rescue us and bring us to himself when we were sinners, whenever we were by nature and by choice, every single one of us in this room, no matter what kind of family came from, you might have come from an awesome family, you, you all were like, you always made your bed and you ate all your vegetables and you're at church and you're, like, you came from a great family, here's the truth about you, you are by nature and by choice a sinner, a rebel against God. And if, if you're from the wrong side of the tracks and you're like, hey man, we've, and we were, I'm terrible, my parents are terrible, I have nothing, here's the good news and the bad news, you're a rebel against God, but you are in no worse situation than that person from the best of families because we are all by nature and by choice rebels against God. But here's the beauty of the gospel. There's a beauty that we see in Jesus that he came for us whenever we were rebels. He came and showcased the goodness of God to us in this, 2 Corinthians 5.21, for our sake, that's every single person, he, that's God, made Jesus to be, uh, made him who knew no sin, that's Jesus, to be sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's the beauty that's found in Jesus. Jesus came to take our sin, take our rebellion, and that's what the cross is all about. Maybe you're sitting here today and you're like, hey, I kind of know a little bit about this Christianity thing. I know something about Jesus and the cross, and I don't really get the whole thing. It seems kind of morbid. It seems kind of weird. It seems kind of outdated. I think maybe we've grown as a society past that. Well, we never grow past our sin problem. We never grow past our sin problem. No matter how smart, technologically advanced we get, we keep on tripping over ourselves, don't we? And yet, and yet, the cross is about Jesus taking that for us on our behalf. The self-giving, sacrificing love of God on display in Jesus. And we hear Jesus talking about this heart, the heart that caused the second person of God, Godhead, to become man, to take on flesh. We hear the, the thing that pushed him to do so. He was talking to, to people and he was talking about how we, they were like sheep and he was the shepherd. And that's really a very, very pastoral, very loving, a very close a relationship that he's describing. There's a very earthy for God to describe, hey, I'm not the, just the king who's returning. I'm the shepherd who was a lowly, overlooked a person of disrepute in their society. He says, I'm the good shepherd or the noble shepherd who's come to take care of you, my sheep. And this is what he said about us. He said, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice, so there will be one flock, one shepherd. That's Jesus' heart. You know who he was talking about when he was talking to his disciples there about there are other sheep who are not of this fold? He was talking about you. He was talking about me. He said, I have other sheep other than you, and I have brought you in at great cost to myself, and now I've got to go get them and bring them in also. I've got it, and you know what? Who, you know, who now, as we are sitting in here and we hear these words of Jesus, I have other sheep who are not of this fold, I must bring them also. You know who they are? 
They're your neighbors and your family members. They're your sons and your daughters, your mother and father and your brothers and sisters that you've been praying for. They're your neighbors that you drive by every day. They're your friends at work and at the gym and at the coffee shop. They are, they are everyone who you look around and they are far from him that he is called to himself. That's who he's talking about. And he today, before us, his people, he stands before us today saying, I have other sheep who are not of this fold, and I must bring them also. And they will listen to me, and I will bring them in. That's what he is saying. That's his heart. It's always been Jesus' heart. His mission is to go and find and rescue the lost and rebellious sheep who are scattered abroad. That includes every single one of us in this room. Whether you have prayed the prayer or bowed your knee, confessed Jesus as Lord or not, you in this room, every single one of this room are lost, rebellious sheep. And Jesus came to bring us to himself. And then what we've seen the past couple of weeks is that not only is that Jesus' heart, but then he turns around to all of us who are his found sheep. And you know what he does? He deputizes us. You know what, that can seem kind of, uh, honestly, that can keep, seem kind of silly, like you're deputizing me. Have you seen me? My life is a mess. I fumble over my words. I don't know that I have anything to offer. My life is busy. I don't I know how I can contribute to this thing, but he turns around to every single one of his disciples. And if you're a believer in Christ, you're one of his disciples. He turns around to every single one of his disciples and he deputizes us. And he says, I, my mission is now become your mission and you are to go into all the world and make disciples. You are to go in my name and in my power with my presence, which is what we're gonna see this morning, and you are to call my lost sheep home. There are other sheep who are not of this fold and I must bring them also and I'll bring them through you. So today, what we're asking is, man, all right, what does that look like? Like, all right, here, I hear what you're saying, Randy. Maybe I'm kind of tracking with you, but what does that look like? And what we're going to see is we're going to look at this morning, the sort of like when Jesus officially handed off the baton of the mission to us as his disciples. And we're going to see what Jesus said about his mission that he was giving to us. Uh, here's what I know from this passage about your mission. This isn't about just this morning. I want you to hear this. I'm talking to you personally, just you and me talking this morning. This morning, I'm not talking about our mission. I'm not talking about the church's mission. I'm not talking about Doc's mission. This morning, I'm talking about your mission. I want you to feel this morning like there's a spotlight shining on you from heaven and you're just me and you, we're talking and you're hearing hopefully the voice of God speaking to your heart and mind as he's talking to you about what your mission is and there's three elements that we're gonna see this morning. Your mission involves a power, your mission involves place, and your, your mission involves a personal witness. Alliteration, Dale, I did it again for you, two out of three weeks. Your, your mission your mission, three Ps, just because I want you to have no excuse to be able to say that you weren't able to track this morning. Your mission involves three Ps. My children would be laughing if they're in right here right now, but your mission involves three Ps. It involves a power, it involves place, and it involves personal witness or a personal witness. First of all, it involves a power. 
Okay, so let's say that you're on board with the mission. And you say, all right, Randy, that was a long intro. I'm tracking with you. You've been going over the past few weeks. I'm on board with the mission. I, I know I can kind of track with you that this is what we're supposed to be doing. I just don't, like, I'm kind of left saying, now what? Now what do I do? All right, you say I'm supposed to go. You say I'm supposed to care for the lost sheep that are scattered abroad like Jesus cares for them. But, man, now what do I do? And if you are sitting there asking that question, then like, you're in the same place that Jesus' apostles, his disciples, were whenever he was uh, about to ascend into heaven after his resurrection. He's, he had hung around with them for some weeks, and now he's getting ready to ascend back into heaven in, the, uh, in this passage that uh, that she read for us this morning, Acts 1, 8 through 11. And in fact, G- Luke gives us, Luke who wrote the book of the Gospel of Luke and the Acts of the Apostles, he wrote them both. He kind of gives us two different pictures of this, uh, this interaction that Jesus had. Now remember, he's talking to the disciples. They, ha- they have walked with Jesus for years, and now they have seen him resurrected, all right? So like, they don't need any more proof to know that he is the Son of God. They've got everything that they need to believe that he is exactly who he said he was and he has come to do exactly what he said he was going to do and he has done it now at this point. And now before he ascends to heaven, he has a conversation with them. And uh, in Luke 24, 47 through 49, uh, you can turn there if you like, but I'll read it real quickly. And he, he said that, uh, just before that, he said, Thus it's written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city, that's Jerusalem, until you are clothed with power from on high. And then now, uh, he is talking to his apostles, his disciples, uh, before he's getting ready to ascend in Acts 1.8. And then he says, but you will receive power. So it's connected to that passage we were just looking at. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. All right? You will receive power, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. That's the city. In Judea, that's the region surrounding it, Samaria that was beside it, a cross-cultural area, and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up in a cloud, took him out of their sight, and while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven." So Jesus didn't just give them a a mission. He just commissioned them, hey, this has been my mission. Now it's your mission. Uh, He doesn't just give them the commission that he has also now handed down to us through the disciples. He didn't just give them the commission. He said, here's what I want you to do. In order for you to fulfill this mission, you need to go and wait in Jerusalem until you are clothed or filled or endowed with power from on high or until the Holy Spirit has come upon you to empower you to accomplish the mission. He doesn't just give them the mission to accomplish. He then also gives them the power in order to accomplish the mission. And so they did. They went and they waited in Jerusalem, waiting, waiting, waiting. And then all of a sudden, if you know the story, if you don't, you can look at Acts 1 and 2. This is that they were waiting and one morning on the day of Pentecost, all of a sudden the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit was poured out upon these apostles, upon these disciples. 
And you know what happened when the power was poured out upon them? All of a sudden, they were empowered to do the mission that God gave them to. Peter stands up after they're preaching in tongues and everyone's gathered and saying, what's going on? And they didn't even know what's going on. Peter stands up and he preaches the first sermon in the history of Christianity and 3,000 people are baptized into the church on day one. They have a mega church on day one. And let me tell you, Peter was kind of a loser up to this point. He was walking with Jesus, and he kept trying to get it right, but he, I mean, he, he was missing the whole point. I mean, he was, he was, they wanted to call fire down from heaven on people when they, like, treated them poorly. They wanted to, uh, he literally tried, I mean, he tried to kill a man. He cut the man's ear off when they were coming to arrest Jesus. Like, he was, he was con- constantly tripping over himself. And then all of a sudden, the power of God, the Holy Spirit of God, is poured out upon him and the others in the upper room. And all of a sudden, he preaches a sermon, and boom, 3,000 people come into the church on day one. And this is an amazing thing, because for them to confess that Jesus is Lord meant that immediately they knew, like, I am probably going to be ostracized by my family, because they're not going to believe that this Jesus, who we've heard about and known about, who we've probably made fun of at the dinner table, that all of a sudden I believe now he's the Lord, he's the Son of God, he's the Savior of the world who came to take my sin upon him and has risen again and is going to return again. They're not going to believe that, and they're going to think I'm turning my back on them and all our culture and all our religion. That was all wrapped up in one decision to be baptized. And yet the power came. We saw Jesus promise the power, and the result is the power is that Peter stands up, he preaches the sermon, and you know what the people say to him? It says that they were cut to the heart. They were cut to the heart, and they said, what must we do to be saved? And Peter didn't like say, like, oh, it's okay, just raise a hand and sign a card. He said, if you want to be saved, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. You know what they, they did? They did it. They responded. They repented of their old ways and confessed Jesus as their Lord, put their faith and trust in him. And we see that Christianity changed the world after that, not because of anybody's cleverness. It wasn't because the church had a great, a great music ministry or a great smoke program or awesome laser lights. He didn't say, hey, you'll receive power when you have an awesome band and an awesome speaker. He didn't say you'll receive power when you have a great building to be in and comfortable chairs. He said you'll receive power and the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you'll be my witnesses. Paul, he wrote to the church of Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians, he said, when I I came to you and I preached, he said the gospel came to you in word and in power, with the Holy Spirit, and with full conviction. Do you know how we're to accomplish the mission that God gave us? To go into Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth? To baptize of all nations and make them disciples? Do you know how we are to do that? We are to do that in the power of the Holy Spirit, not under our own power. 
none of the cleverness of our preaching or the cleverness of our programs, though I'm not decrying any of those things. Let's have great music. I hope we have good preaching and I hope we have a building one day, but our success here or anywhere in the world is not based upon any of those things. It's based upon the thing that we cannot, we cannot manufacture, we cannot sell, we cannot make happen. It is the presence and power of the Holy Spirit among his people. You know what happened when the Holy Spirit came upon his people? It created a centrifugal force that propelled his people out with a power that they did not possess on their own. And it's the same thing that he's called us to experience as well. The power of the Holy Spirit in our lives individually and in us as a church should be such that it creates a centrifugal force that propels us out to the lost sheep that he has called us to go to. Jesus said, out of your belly or out of the innermost parts of your being will flow streams of living water. You know what he's saying? He said there will be an overflow. There should be. In our lives as believers, there should be an overflow coming out of our lives that is not our own charisma or own cleverness. It is simply attestable to the power and presence of the Holy Spirit being poured out and overflowing out of our lives, overflowing out of the experience that we are experiencing of the, the beauty that has failed in the face and the presence of Jesus Christ. As we are experiencing the sweetness and power of his fellowship, then that should be pouring out of us and overflowing out of us, around us, to the people around us. You know, it is no accident that these unlearned, uneducated, uncouth men who couldn't get out of their own way when the Holy Spirit had poured a had been poured out upon them, all of a sudden the powers that be, whenever they had brought them in, they had to say, man, these people have been with Jesus. There is something other than them that is about them that's causing something. That is great news for you and me because not many of us in this room are amazing. Not many of this room are talented and have our stuff all together all the time, right? Aren't we just messes just walking around, saved by God, hopefully growing in grace over time? But we're we're messes, right? And we can own that because it's not our own effort. It's only Christ's effort on our part. And then the mission that he calls us to is not on our effort. It's only his power in us. The centrifugal force of the Holy Spirit should flow out of our personal, the personal fullness that overflows out of us, and it should flow out of a passion for the Lord's name. Habakkuk 2.14 said, that it said that the, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God like the waters cover the sea. And it should be the, the heartbeat of the believer that says, yes, we want that. We want, we love Jesus and we know that he is amazing. We know that God created this world for his glory and we are lost and hopeless and helpless until we find our rest in him. And we need, we want God's glory, the knowledge of his glory to cover the face of the earth like the waters cover the sea. We don't want anyone anywhere to be able to blame anyone, blame us for Jesus being ignorable by them. We want God's glory to expand. We want the nations to hear and to be glad as they see the beauty that's found in Jesus. We want the 
knowledge of the glory of God to cover the face of the earth as the waters cover the sea. And until it does, it should propel us like a centrifugal force out of where we are to beyond. And then we should be prepared, propelled by a centrifugal force, by a compassion for God's sheep that are scattered abroad. Jesus asked Peter as he was restoring him after he had denied him three times. Jesus said, do you love me? And he asked him three times. And his answer every single time was, if you love me, feed my lambs. If you love me, feed my sheep. If we love him, won't we go out to his sheep that are scattered abroad? Won't we share his burden for them? Won't we commit ourselves, our fortunes, our time, our energy to that end? He's given us the power to do so. But then what happens after the disciples receive, were to receive the power? So what happens to us? So we're saying, all right, uh, maybe I'm with you that I need to be on mission, and I'm tracking with you. It's hard for me to get my head around, but that the power comes from him. But, but, but what happens after that? And he tells him. He says, you'll be my witnesses. We'll come back to that. In Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now, what he was telling them then is that there's these concentric circles that I'm sending you out to. And there's this picture as we're getting this is that, here's the thing that Jesus' focus is always on the horizon. He's always, his focus is always on the sheep that are out there. As soon as we get them in, it's the sheep who are out there. It's the heart of the father to the prodigal and the heart of the shepherd to the one who is lost. The 99 are safe in the fold. And first of all, he said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. What does that mean? Well, he's talking to them. He's saying, really, what Jerusalem represents for them and for us is your natural circle of influence. Jerusalem is where these people lived. And so he said, if you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, first of all, it starts off being, being a witness in your natural circle of influence. What is your circle of influence? Well, it's your family. It's your workplace. It's your uh, place where you may uh, hang out or work out or friends or sports or whatever circle that you find yourself in, that's where he's called you, first of all, to be a witness for him. And here's the truth of all. First of all, that requires no movement. He said go into all the world. It requires no movement to be a witness in your Jerusalem and in my Jerusalem. It's simply where he has put us. But here's what it does require. It requires intentionality and it requires courage. In some ways, it requires more intentionality and more courage than even going outside of our natural sphere of influence because those people know us really well, right? And we have normal everyday conversations about our family and politics and TV and whatnot, and it can seem kind of weird and kind of hard to figure out how do I take this relationship that I have with this person and move it to spiritual things, right? Well, first of all, it takes intentionality. It takes us seeing them, the people around us, not just as friends or not just as coworkers, but seeing them as potential lost sheep who are scattered abroad. 
And it takes courage. Not on our own part, but it takes, God, would you give me your Holy Spirit to give me courage so I can reach out to them and tell them about the beauty that I have found in the face of Jesus Christ, first of all. And to tell them, share with them the beauty of the gospel and the power of the gospel. But what is, what is your thoughts about your Jerusalem, your sphere of influence? As you go in your daily life, are you going with Jesus on his mission? Are you hoping someone else will come along and do that for you? He said Jerusalem and then Judea. That's the region surrounding, uh, surrounding Jerusalem. And, and, and that requires some amount of movement. It requires intentionality. And it requires the first break with something that's comfortable. Here's what that means. It means that, that, means that you and I have to start to view our life not just, as, not just to make my life easy and my life comfortable and my life luxurious and my life easier, but to view my life, all right, God, how do I leverage my life to go on your mission to those sheep that are scattered abroad beyond my natural sphere of influence? How do I go out to them? How do you go out to them? What is it that God has placed, what is a a people or some people that God has given you a burden for your neighborhood, people at work that you're not friends with, uh, people who are in our, in our community that are disenfranchised or man, they don't have anybody being the advocate for them. Are, are you, or do you have a burden for them? And man, maybe we should just stop thinking like maybe somebody should come and do something about that, but maybe we should do it. It requires breaking from what's comfortable and stepping out and saying, I'm going to go. I don't know how it's going to work. I don't, I don't have any assurance of success, but I am going to go, God, and I'm praying that you would pour out your spirit upon me in order to do this. And then he said, Jerusalem, Judea, and then he said Samaria. And here's the thing about Samaria. Uh, Samaria was an area beside Judea that had a, a group of people who the Jews considered half-breeds, and they considered them really blasphemers. And they were to have nothing to do with Samaritans. They considered them like, almost like animals, really. And when Jesus said, go to Samaria, you know what he's saying? He's saying, you have to, in order to go with the gospel and to go find my sheep that are scattered abroad, it means that you're going to have to cross cultural barriers. You have to cross what's comfortable. It means that you're going to have to go to people who are, culturally and, unre- and relationally probably uncomfortable for you. It means you're going to have to go to the distant and the despised in our society. Who are those who are distant and despised? Who are those who are not like you and not like me? That, nat- that naturally we think, man, I don't want anything to do with them. It makes me uncomfortable. But they, they are lost sheep that he is scattered abroad in Samaria, in those places of the distant and despised, and he's calling us to go. We should be a church that's about being uncomfortable. We should be a church that's about constantly encouraging each other to be uncomfortable for the sake of the mission. But you know what happens there whenever you step out? It kind of reminds me a little bit of, uh, you remember the... Uh, 
remember the, uh, the Indiana Jones movie, I'm not been the Temple of Doom, I can't remember which one it was, but um, where he has to, he has to, uh, there's this great chasm, he's getting ready to get to the, to the cup, to the, and, and he's got this great chasm between him and the other side, and it says that he's got to take the step of faith, or the leap of faith, and it looks like it's just a, an abyss all the way down. But he throws some sand, and he can kind of see there's a little bit of a walkway there, and he has to take out that first step, and he finds ground there. That's what it's like. That's the exhilaration it's like to step out with God across the barriers that exist to go outside of our comfort zone with him on mission. You know what you find when you do there? It, this part is really scary. But you know what this part is? Exhilarating. Because you find that he meets you on mission. I think the reason that most of us see very little supernatural activity in our lives is because we are not engaged with Jesus in his mission. We're comfortable in our homes and our comfortable places, but he is engaged. He is going to the lost sheep. And if we take that step out there, you know what we find? We find his spirit already at work there among people's hearts and lives. And we get, to ex we get the exhilaration of being a part of calling his sheep home and seeing them respond and bringing them back with joy and saying, I don't know, I did nothing, but I did take that step and I found them. Jesus found them with me. I was able to participate with him in his mission. And man, it gets you going. You know what it does? It, it puts a taste in your mouth and you're never satisfied with anything else again. The safe life, the comfortable life, the just let's have a Bible study life. Man, let's have Bible studies. Let's have Bible studies and then let's go on mission. Let's let, let's let the Bible studies and the fellowship that we have with each other and the songs that we sing and our hearts are stirred, let's let, let that overflow out of us as, we, as it sends us out like a centrifugal force on mission into Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then let's go to the ends of the earth. You know what that is? That's pioneer missions. That's like Paul saying, I, I've, got, I've, I've got to go I'm tired of building on somebody else's foundation. I've got to go where they haven't heard. And that should be a desire on all of our hearts, but it stirs in some of us deeper. It says, man, I've got to go. I've got to go where they haven't heard yet. I, I pray that our church becomes a sending church becomes a burden church that has a burden for the nations, that has a burden for the unreached people groups of the world. The people groups where they have, in their culture and in their language, they are unengaged with the gospel. They have no credible gospel witness in their culture. There are, there are hundreds and thousands of people groups left. Hundreds, not hundreds, up to hundreds and thousands of people groups left who have, who have no authentic gospel witness there, and we have to go. I pray that some of us would catch that bug and we would say, I've got to go, and all of us would send. Right? You know what happens when people in our midst get that bug and they say, I've got to go where they have, have no gospel witness? Or even say, I've got to go where they have less gospel witness. I've got to go. You know what happens for us? Our budget goes up. Because we've got to send them. That's a budget I can get behind. 
into Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the end of the earth, and the ends of the earth, Jesus focuses always on the horizon. And you know why we go in each of those places? Because he has a particular people who are scattered and lost in each of those places. Jesus said, the Father has given me his children. And Jesus said, they will know my voice. They are, I know my sheep and my sheep know me. They will hear me and they will come. A power, place. We have to go to where they are. And then lastly, a personal witness. So if you're saying that we do this with a power that comes from not, not, doesn't come from us, it comes from God, and, and we have to go into each of these circles, we have to go, make ourselves uncomfortable, we have to go out to them and find them. Like, so all right, so how do I do that? What is my part? If the power is from God, I'm, and I, but yet I am to go, what do I do when, what do I do with that? How do we, how do, we do that? Well, first of all, I want us to hear the weight of what Jesus says. He says, but you'll receive power and the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. Do you hear the weight of that? Who's going to be Jesus' witnesses? Is it going to be like angels from heaven? You will be his witness. You. Me, but you. You will be his witness. But then do you hear the excitement of that? You will be my, we get to be Jesus' witness in the places that we go to find the sheep who are lost. Jesus' mission is about saving the world. It is big and it's grand in every way. Do you hear that? He says, you're going to be my witnesses and you'll, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. I mean, he doesn't, I mean, he doesn't put a cap on it. The ends of the earth is everybody, everywhere of all time. That's, that's big and grand when you look around this gym and you say, like, this is, all right, like, this is us. It is big and it's grand in every way. It's even big and grand if you count all the believers who are everywhere in the world. But here's the, here's the power, here's the cool thing about this, is that you don't have to change the world. Jesus already did. The mission that he sends us on is to save the world, but here's the thing, we don't have to save the world, he already has, he's done it. He's done the work. He's just calling us. His, here's our part. He's calling us to be a witness of the change that he made. That's what the gospel is. It's taking the story, the news of who Jesus is and what he has done and what he is going to do, just taking the news. Here's what it means to be a witness. It means just telling people about what Jesus did and who he is. It's just telling them the news. We say it and we show it. We share the power of the gospel as we share the words, the good news of who Jesus is and what he's done. And we share the power of the gospel by exhibiting or showing those changed lives. When you talk with somebody, your, your leadoff can be, and let me tell you about what Jesus has done in me. 
because we can have just different opinion about the validity of Scripture and if Jesus was the Son of God and how is that possible and, you know, who did Adam and Eve's sons marry and, you know, this, right? Like, we, we can have all kinds of conversations that just like kind of loop around in a circle. But let me just start off by telling you, like, here's what Jesus has done in me. And it's because this is who he was and what he did and who he is now. And so if our part is to simply be witnesses, to share, like a witness of a car accident or a witness of whatever, like I just tell you what I saw, then that's all we have to do is we have to share it. And the question is like, so if that's your mission, the question is do you know how to share it? Do you know how to share the gospel? And some of us like, we might be sitting here and like, man, I don't really know how to do that. And that's, that's okay, let's just own that. If you don't know how to, we can help you. We have people here who would love to personally do some personal training. We can show you this is how you can share the gospel. The gospel is really about this is who God is, this is who man is, this is what sin is. This is who Jesus is. Put your faith and repent from your sin and put your faith in him. That's, that's really the story, but we would love to help you. We can give you personal training. Ask a community group leader. Ask Dale or me. Ask Tad. Ask someone here. We would be, we'd be glad to give you personal training. We have books and courses that would, be loved, that would can help you with that. We'd, there's so many resources that we have these days. There's no reason any of us should not know how to share the gospel. That can be done. And just own it. Don't be embarrassed to say, hey, I, I really need help. I'm intimidated. I don't know how to share it. Would you help me? We can help you develop your own, here's my story and here's the story of Jesus. We have cards in the back where you can take it that says, hey, first of all, Invite people to church. If, there's, if you see an open door, the next thing you do is you tell your story. And then if you see an open door, then you share the gospel. It's a great way to just to, to, to think about how do, I, how do I get in the habit of, of sharing the gospel, of seeing that the God's opening doors with people around me as I go. We have, we have, we have tools that we can help you with, but here's the, here's the thing first of all, the bottom line of it actually, is that the gospel must be shared. The gospel must be shared because there's nothing else that saves men and women. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the, of the gospel for it's the power of God for salvation. There's nothing else that saves men and women. There's no other hope coming. As you look around and we, we see people who are far from God, there's no other hope coming for them other than the gospel that he has already accomplished and sent with us. We carry with us the hope. It's the only antidote, the only hope. And it must be actually shared. It must be demonstrated. We must demonstrate the gospel with our lives, but it has to be actually shared with them because how can they believe unless they hear? And how can they hear unless it's preached? And you know what preaching is most of the time? It's just personal sharing one-on-one. The gospel must be shared and you must Share it. Not just me, not just somebody else, but you must share it. Because, first of all, it's Jesus' heart. It's his mission to you. His mission for you. And he has put you where you are in the circle of influence that he has put you in. 
and the places that you go every day and every week that you and I, that I will never go. He's put you in those places. He's given you the burdens he's given you. He's given you the talents and the abilities that he's given you so that you would go and you would share the gospel. He's calling us to the ends of the earth. He's calling us to join with him and the Father on their great mission. There is nothing greater in life. There are a lot of great things in life. There is nothing greater than participating with him in that mission. Because, you know what? Football, food, even my family as I know it will fade. But you know what will be everlasting? The sheep that God has called to his own. And we are forever throughout eternity celebrating and worshiping and wondering at the beauty that is found in God that is shown to us in Jesus. We will forever be wonder, stand in wonder that we were pulled in as his lost sheep and that he used us, us broken, imperfect lost sheep to join him in his mission. I have never, ever, ever, and I've been a Christian a long time, I've never, ever heard anybody, any older saint say, man, I really wasted time being engaged in God's mission. That was fruitless and pointless, and I wish I had watched more TV. You know what they say? Man, those are the glory years. When God used me, for his name and his fame, and I saw his lost sheep come home. Let's make that the song of our lives, right? Let's make that the mission of our church. Let's make that the heartbeat of our church. Let's go. Let's go in our Jerusalem and our Judea and our Samaria, and then let's go by God's grace, Doxa. Let's go to the ends of the earth and let's bring them home. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Doxa Church. We are so glad that you took the time to join us today. At Doxa, we exist to make disciples who joyfully worship Jesus with their whole lives. We invite you to join us. Doxa Church meets at 10 a.m. every Sunday at River Oaks Elementary School. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org.